Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Meredith Herrenbrook, author of the book Becoming Ridiculously Awesome. She is also a transformational life coach, neuro-linguistic programming practitioner with a master certification from NLP Marin, a family soul constellations facilitator, and was initiated into HANA by Kahuna Mark Saito in Hawaii. Meredith, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So how long have you been practicing these healing modalities? I have been practicing since about 2008, and uh, I've been doing it sporadically for many years, but the last three years I've been focusing more on that after I wrote my book, Becoming Ridiculously Awesome. I think a lot of people are familiar with NLP, but at least I know I've never heard of HUNA or Soul Constellations before. So um, can we start with that? And what are those? Absolutely. So... These two modalities that I've added on to NLP helps round out the healing of a person's experience because NLP starts with primarily focusing on healing traumas and addictions and and things that are related to our childhood and our current experiences. But the family soul constellations deal with family energies that are stuck that we need to resolve which we'll get into later. And then there's HUNA, which is much more of the energetic work of, or an energetic way of getting to the root cause of whatever is keeping you stuck, what is keeping you in chronic um, pain or chronic conditions. And it's a, it's a beautiful way of connecting with a person's consciousness such that we can find the root cause because it's not necessarily stuck in childhood. It could be past lives. It could be energies that are stuck to you. It could be really from a whole host of things that are really surprising. And for the first few years that I was doing this, sometimes I would really second guess my intuition that I was, that this was really working, that this was happening and that it was real. Um, Because some people still question if ghosts are real, but I have really learned over time that when I see the healing of my clients or the healing of a home and um, or, you know, that a child can finally sleep in their room and they don't know I was ever there to do the work, but then instantly they can go to bed that night without having a second thought. I know that the work that I do is really powerful and very helpful for the person who needs it. All right. When you said energies are stuck to people, are you implying that they are entities? They can be. And what I want to say as far as what entities are it can be a whole host of entities. So one can be non-passed over people, which often we refer to as ghosts. 
people who have died but either don't know they're dead maybe they are mad that they're dead or they feel they have an obligation to be here they don't want to leave a loved one behind they feel really terrible uh i mean so they're non-passed over people uh who are stuck for whatever reason or it could be actually a very negative entity maybe you call it a demon or you call it a goodness what are all the other words that people use but uh it's basically a negative force that is there to mess with you kind of take your energy get attention uh that sort of thing and so they stick around um for whatever host of reasons and then the other thing too is as far as what we call an entity is really thought forms or energies that are just kind of you know thought forms actually have matter they have maybe a weight to them they don't just go away they're an actual something we just can't see it and so if we have say lots of say negative thought forms say in a kitchen right a lot of times people will uh as a side note uh paint their rooms yellow it's bright and it's happy and it's sunny but sometimes when the yellow is too bright actually the most of the fights that families might have are in the kitchen because yellow is actually agitative So now imagine you have just the psychology of the yellow paint, but then you have years upon years of fighting in that room. And now there's enough negative energy that is kind of trapped there and it's never been cleared, never acknowledged, et cetera, that now it actually influences our experience and and it can snowball into oh wow then a negative entity comes by and goes ooh this is great i love this negative energy i love that i can control i love that these people maybe i can make them fearful whatever it is so um so that is the other sort of entity that i talk about is those thought forms that kind of build and snowball almost like layers of paint it affects our experience how common do you think it is that people are unable to pass over and are just roaming around the planet? I think it's a lot more than we think. Um, I, I find whenever I clear a home, it's, you know, it's, it's really a lot of older people who have built their homes, especially in, well, I'm on the West Coast near San Francisco that a lot of those homes were built 1960s and so forth. And so the first owners of the home will tend to not want to leave their home because they built it. They had so much invested in it and they want to make sure that the home goes to a proper place. And if a younger generation um, doesn't want to have the home, then they have a really hard time leaving it. And I've encountered that a few times. Uh, If you have people in war, uh, especially East Coast, uh, revolution, uh, you know, all, all the various wars on the East Coast. I mean, they're numerous. There is so much trauma and in the, those experiences and events that um, a lot of them have not passed over peacefully at all. And so I think they roam around a lot, but most often they are localized to a person or a specific place. Have you ever considered that the Earth's population appears to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know what we're up to now, like 7 billion people. 
Do you think right. that all those people have always been here just coming at different times or more spirits are coming here, like what people call star seeds? That's an interesting question. I haven't really delved into it very much. I'm still learning more about um, beings coming from other planets, though I, it seems that that's been happening forever. Um, there's a lot of dynamics and power control that's I've heard from other people who know more about this, that there's a power struggle on earth. And so you have, you know, um, what Sagittarians and Pleiadians, uh, Pleiadians uh, and all these different energies trying to control. Uh, and then there are also other beings who just want to have the experience of being on earth because perhaps it's better for whatever reason, or they're coming here to help. Uh, that I hear happens quite a bit. Uh, and I think also from the Hawaiian tradition that their um, traditions and their people came from a different location. And, and now they populate here. It's a very, very gentle society. It's a very intuitive society. And a lot of people actually on the Pacific Rim, you know, Japan and so forth, they're like Japan, they're very, very sensitive people. And they can pick up on energies a lot more than I think Western people typically do because we're not raised to, we're not really trained in, in picking up the subtle energies. So I think a lot of, a lot of beings do come here for various reasons. I believe that a lot of my audience come to my channel because they have lost somebody in their life and they're wondering if that person's okay on the other side and or having their own existential crisis. Do you think that they're having trouble moving past their loved ones being gone because they're an entity and they're attaching themselves or still around? If a person is having the experience of not being able to grieve and complete the grief process, which it's, it's different for everyone, but generally, which I think society has subtly recognized is it takes perhaps around a year to two years of of grieving and transforming yourself into acknowledging that the person is no longer there. And then subtly, you know, you'll be able to kind of find excitement in being with your friends again, maybe enjoying work a little bit more and, and finding your own feet and finding who you are. Like there's, there's so many transitional points that you have to go through. But what I have learned is if you are not able to move beyond, um, say five years down the road or three years down the road, and you're constantly thinking about that person or that you'll never consider getting married again, and that there is just this hard stop of moving on, you just can't, or especially on that person's birthday, that you are just crying and just bereft. That speaks to me, and it's happened all the time when I'm working with someone who's had those experiences, that the person who has died has not passed over. And they're still connected to you or to the house, but probably more connected to you because they feel badly. They love you. They want to stay connected. And um, but the unfortunate thing is, is it makes it harder on the person who's still living. And uh, and so there's they're kind of like half in this world and half out of this world. And so what I do is I help a client 
um, figure out where this person is connected on what dimension, um, what they're here to maybe share, uh, what their unfinished business is. And so we'll have a conversation back and forth. And I can, you know, in my head, I'm highly intuitive. I can hear in my head what that person is wanting to say on the other side. Maybe I'll get pictures. Maybe I'll hear thoughts. Um, it's all telepathic. Uh, and, and then I'll be able to communicate back and forth. And then once we kind of go, all right, well, maybe the client wants the person to go, then I will kind of make arrangements. And I work with beings on the other side and angelic in the angelic realm to, um, to help facilitate that process. Cause I don't, I don't know that side very well because everyone who goes over uh, ends up on a different vibrational plane based on where they were when they left here. So if they're vibrating, say, at, let's say, a 150 level, then they're going to find something that's comfortable for them over there, probably around the 150 level. They're not going to necessarily jump to the 500 level of consciousness and go, hey, this is great. So we kind of, when we leave here, we're vibrating at a certain level, and then we shift over and find something very similar. I find it interesting that you put a numerical value to this vibrational level of consciousness. Is that something from, from NLP? It is actually not. It is from a man named Dr. David R. Hawkins. He wrote amazing books, which helped me actually kind of get on this path as well. Uh, and he wrote some books, the first one being Power Versus Force. And he discovered that there are levels of consciousness from zero to a thousand Zero being like the most apathy and then anger being a little bit above that, uh, say, and then uh, 500 being the level of pure or true love or pure love, I would say, uh, unconditional love. And then a thousand being, um, you know, say Buddha consciousness, Christ consciousness. And that's apparently the highest level um, of bodies can sustain with that energy. And then it just kind of breaks apart and then and so forth. And we turn into to light. So that's why I've placed a numerical uh, or number on, on levels of consciousness um, because there are different levels and so forth. And it's very helpful to understand when we're even trying to communicate with each other of asking the question, where are they coming from? You know, a lot of times when we disconnect or we're not connecting and we're frustrated with a person's conversation is basically because we're out of rapport with that person. We are using certain words or vibrating differently, and we're just not seeing eye to eye. And so it has helped me become more curious rather than going, I can't believe this person is talking this way is, well, where are they coming from? And then let's see how I can communicate to that level such that my communication is um, more useful to that person. Because if we're not communicating, we're not seeing eye to eye, then you're just going to keep shooting arrows at each other and mismatching. And then you think that person's a jerk when they're really not. They're just operating at a different level. Do you happen to have any tips or advice on how to raise our consciousness level? Yes. Thank you for that question. Um, how you raise your level of consciousness is really looking into what your traumas are, where you're stuck, what your belief systems are that are not working out for your experience. 
And what I mean is the, the, the main question is, well, what would you like? And then if, and when you create your ideal future experience, say maybe you want to have a certain experience in a year and you flush it all out with what you're thinking and feeling and doing in that future version of you, and you're not having it now, then we go, well, why not? How are you not able to get there? And so when you start to ask those questions of rather than blaming the rest of the world for your experience, and it's very easy to go there because we're kind of raised into kind of a situation where it's more reactive, right? The systems are set up, their parent systems are set up and the rules are set up and we're just trying to follow along and survive. And so, but then we get into this, well, what you survive, you recreate, and this is all NLP learning is, well, if I'm constantly surviving and recreating my experience, then I can't move ahead. So we, so there needs to be some neurological learning and, and really looking deep into how we're creating our experience. And if it's not what we really want, then how do we get to where we do want to go? And so to help people really evolve their level of consciousness is they need to do that hard work um, of really looking in the mirror, if you will, and going, okay, where am I? Where did I come from? Where do I want to go? And how do I get there? And it's emotional work. Sometimes it's, you have to shift relationships, but basically you need to start looking at what are my belief systems? What are my assumptions? Do I have to believe those things? Is there a better way? And if you start to notice, well, maybe there is a better way and then trying those out or working with an NLP practitioner such as myself, then you can more easily shift your tracks into finally getting what you want. Because as I said, when you survive, you recreate because you're what happens with the brain. And this is fascinating. It's very important for everyone to know is that 80% of what we believe about ourselves in the world is set up by the age of three. Everything else is replay with new people, new scenery, kind of new situations, but there's a grain of it or multiple grains of it that are replays. And why that happens is, is because when we survive something growing up, whether it's um, maybe a parent is frustrated and you go, oh my gosh, I screwed up. How do I fix this? What do I do to make it better? And then you go, great, I'm going to now believe this or act this way. So then my parent won't be mad at me and they'll be happy. Because if they're not happy, then my life is going to totally suck. So we make solutions and rules and belief systems so we can kind of survive fairly safely. But then what happens if you have perhaps an alcoholic parent and you've now learned to dial it in your survival. And so then your brain will go, great. Well, now I know that that's working. And now every time I see that experience again, I'm going to throw that out again because I know it works. But then you're not able to grow because you're constantly trying to survive that situation. And now you know how to do it. So now why reinvent the wheel? So let's keep new people um, or find just the right friends and relationships that keep reinforcing what you learned as a child. 
as in every day, this is how I have to live. So how do you go, how do you get back and discover those conclusions that you made at age three or younger? What I do is uh, we flush out originally what the future desired state is. What would you like to have? Okay. And we really fill it in. We make it technicolor and we go, okay, now I want you to step into that experience and we're really flushing it out. And then what the practitioner does is they look at the body language because what's happening in in the client's brain is we go, I really want that, but I really, I, I really want to have a comfortable life and a beautiful relation, you know, a good, successful, beautiful, happy relationship with someone. But and I go, okay, great. Thank you so much. Now, what stops you from having that experience? And what they'll do is they'll dart their eyes somewhere, a few locations, but the first place they look, I go, okay, thank you. Now, I want you to kind of glue your eyeballs into that location, I'll kind of stick my finger out and I'll track where then I'm looking for that body reaction that has been accompanying that look. Now, what's happening is on the back end of this is you're what you're doing is you're accessing memories because there's a lot of connection between what the eye is intaking and what it's where it's storing in your brain. Maybe it's storing memories of someone speaking, maybe pictures of an event, the associated feelings, right? I mean, we're like the best recorders of the universe and it's all stored away so that, I mean, if we didn't have memories, we would probably not survive till old age because we don't remember a stove is hot. We don't remember how to pick up our feet, et cetera. So what I do is I hold their eyes there and I unpack the original memory of what is being held that they're always referring the rest of the world to, Mm. to keep themselves safe. Because if they don't have the playbook, then they won't have triggers. They won't have traumas and so forth. We need to go back to the original playbook. And then what we do is we unpack it and I ask questions and see what's happening and I'll ask specific questions. So then we go, well, how are you having this experience? What happened? What, um, what would you, what were, was your younger person thinking or your youngest self thinking at that time? What were, what was that person believing about themselves in the world? (coughs) And, and these are very different questions than perhaps other therapists out there ask. But what we're doing is we're not just talking about story and trying to flush out the current story of our lives. We're going to the root cause of what happened long ago and far away. And is it also, is it your memory or is it somebody else's memory? Are you holding these emotions to make your mom feel better? Because, wow, wait a minute, those are my mom's feelings. Or I took those feelings from my mom to try and make her feel better. And these things happen in an instant when we're a child or even now. And we are unconscious about what, like what is being stored and how we're creating our experience. We are not a victim. We are not a passive witness to our lives. We are constantly creating um, our experience. And so that's what we do is we go into 
the past and then we offer a resolution we say well your your childhood maybe completely sucked and i'm so sorry you had to go through that experience and we go through some acknowledgement of you did the best you could like what else could you do right or if some other person took your place would your parents act any differently and so i help that person come through some realizations and soften their own judgments about themselves and then say well what would you like your younger person to know you know your younger self and so we do a lot of neurological work such that we're kind of rewriting not the event itself but what we feel about the event and we're shifting the survival playbook such that yeah if we need to pull it out on those extreme circumstances in the future then let's do it but let's not constantly be aware and and living our lives according to that and stay in that heightened state of like hypervigilance and so and then as we slowly rewrite that that um experience and we grow ourselves up through all the other related experiences now we're not having to manage all those triggers and traumas anymore because we're not really connected to it the same way anymore and now over time now we can be more available to have space in our brains and hearts and mind and soul to then move forward and go wow oh i don't have to manage all this stuff anymore wow i all this stuff is off my shoulders now wow what a relief and then it gets to become a lot more fun and you're connected with the present more and now you're even more excited about the future right you're not constantly pinging back to the past of am i safe now am i safe now do i have to bring in alcoholism into my world anymore no can i just find a nice person to have a nice relationship with wow i guess i can now and so it's a beautiful way of shifting our experience acknowledging the past and helping a person to their future does it take a long time to work through these past traumas it depends um sometimes there are layers of belief systems stuck all over the place um however i will guarantee you it does not take 10 years it doesn't take 5 years in thousands of hours and thousands of dollars on a, a therapist couch um and you know and everyone does respond to different modalities differently but i will tell you um i have seen it with my clients that within 3 or 4 sessions major traumas are not major traumas anymore that the memories are fading the nightmares are fading um they're happier they are more vibrant they're more smiling uh they're more excited they're more connected to the possibility of their future that they really really wanted because we're we're unsticking all that stuff that we all the roadblocks that we put in the way that we didn't know we put there and for example i had a client who is a a teenager and she started off barely looking at me and i can do this all through zoom which is great because through the pandemic we're all isolated um and so she was barely looking at the camera she wasn't smiling she didn't have friends 
she was barely passing her classes and kind of not passing her classes. Anyway, there was a whole host of things that were just not working for her. And her mother was so concerned. She goes, I spent money everywhere else and they just didn't do anything. And within two or three sessions, uh, and I had four sessions with her, she, she barely stuttered anymore. She was smiling. She had a job. She was doing well in school. She was connecting with her mom now. I mean, she was just like more present. And I helped her with not only childhood traumas, but past life stuff, entity attachment, and uh, and family soul constellation stuff because she was adopted. And there was a lot of unspoken uh, feelings that she couldn't resolve on her own. And, and that was a really, really exciting, beautiful transition. Mm. And that was four sessions. You mentioned past life stuff. Is that also done through the NLP or from the soul constellations? It's done more from the HUNA side. Mm. But again, when uh, what I love about these three tools is I use them interchangeably based on what I see the client needs. So if a person's talking about perhaps um, when we were talking about loss, if a, a person has uh, experienced a great loss of, of a person, a spouse, a child, and they go and they keep saying, I just feel I've lost a part of myself or I've lost part of my heart. The, the Huna part of me says, aha, they have lost a part of themselves quite uh, uh, literally. And I go, wow, maybe they have a soul fragment. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's a replay of maybe a soul fragment that was lost long ago, like maybe in a past life, whatever traumas that we have not resolved, it gets kind of stuck in space and time. And it can be in this life. It can be in a past life. It could be connected to an entity that's attached to us. Um, and so I go looking for it in all those places, depending on what the client is saying. So that's what a soul fragment is? A soul fragment is where a part of our souls splits off because the event is too traumatic. And it just it just freezes in time and just becomes separated. And I have to go and find it. And often it's related to an event. We'll go, all right, well, say someone is afraid of, let's say it's a person is afraid of fire. I go, okay, well, how long have you had this feeling of feeling afraid of fire? Oh, I don't know, ever since my childhood. Okay, great. And so we'll go under a state of hypnosis and kind of float back into our past and go, okay, well, how old are you? You know, and we kind of grow that person younger, as we say. Okay, do you still have that feeling at five years old? Mm, yep, I think so. It still feels there. Okay, we go four years old, three years old, down to if that feeling's still there at one year old, and then we go to zero, we go, hmm, does it feel like it's yours or do you feel it's someone else's? Well, no, I think it's mine. Okay, so then we're going to pop out of your body and grow yourself younger. What was your experience? Remember the last time that you had that experience of feeling really afraid of fire? Any pictures, any images, any thing you're hearing? And then they might get a vision. It'll be a split thing and then they'll open up their eyes and go, 
I don't know. That's just crazy. Right. Mm. Um, no, no, that's, that's just something that it just popped in my head. Okay. Well, just for, for giggles, what was it? And for example, for me, I actually had some work done by someone else many years ago when I was learning all of this. And uh, I had, I had a soul fragment and uh, I was at a fire. This is why I'm giving this example. Uh, I was uh, apparently a witch burned or labeled as a witch burned at, you know, the stake and so forth and so on with, I think, other people. And it was horrible. It was, I mean, as you can imagine. And when I was kind of in the dying process and I look over to my right and I see a white wisp shoot off away from the fire. I go, what the heck is that? And I'd never seen it before, never knew what soul fragments were before. And my guide says, well, why don't you follow it? And so thus then I found it and had a conversation and, and, and we basically found a resolution. And, and then the soul fragment was cleaned and cleared, brought back into my body. And I'll tell you when it was brought back into my body and it feels maybe perhaps to some who are listening to this, no way. I get that. I get that. But just follow me that it can happen. However, the healing happens in whatever modality, if it works for you, let's not label it because if it's working for you and it feels correct, then it is that somehow some part of you is healing through that, but we don't need to label it. I don't find that necessarily very useful. And there are a lot of beautiful modalities that do things similarly I call it Huna, some another person might call it um, soul retrieval, et cetera. Anyway, so when the, the the fragment was brought into me, it was amazing because I actually felt more dense. I'd always felt a little jittery before and just kind of like just not comfortable, not fully present and and confident and filled out to all through all cells. And when that fragment came in, I just, I felt different and I felt more full and my voice changed. It got deeper and more, it had a different resonance. And I'm like, <clears throat> I go, this is the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced. So, um, so getting back to where we go looking for it, we can go anywhere. And whatever the picture is, whatever the story is, it doesn't necessarily matter. But what matters is that it's resonating with you in a certain way. And we need to heal that in the proper way to then resolve it. Because if you're holding on to tons of stuck things, imagine the load that you're carrying on your shoulders. Imagine the pain now because your body is working so hard to manage so many things that eventually something's going to break, right? We might get chronically sick. We might turn to addiction to compensate. Um, I mean, you can imagine how we twist ourselves in knots, not understanding, you know, where it's all coming from. Did you have an issue with fire in general? And has that been handled now? Like you, you don't fear fire anymore? Um, I never really feared fire, but I was always very enthralled by it. Uh, so almost like an extra obsession. 
uh, about it, not like in a pyrotechnic sense, and I want to light things on fire at all, mm -hmm. but but just wow, my attention seems to keep going here, uh, and and it, I always found it kind of odd, and so when we kind of did the hypnosis, uh, that's just it ended up being that's what was shown to me, and that was held somewhere in my memory, and uh, it was it was an amazing experience. You mentioned nightmares, and I previously had a guest that was a dream expert, and according to her, nightmares are a good thing. What is your opinion, good or bad? Hmm. I would say it's an opportunity to find out what is stuck for you. What is your body trying to release through pictures, right? When we rest our body, then our brain can kind of recalibrate, do its thing. So if you're having nightmares... Um, I wouldn't get caught necessarily in the fact that you had a nightmare because it, it's kind of a traumatic in its own sense, but look at it of, and maybe ask yourself questions. Is this my, is it, um, a symbol or a metaphor for something that I'm, I'm trying to resolve, you know, maybe stress at work or, um, stress with a family member or relationship, whatever it is. So is it my memory? Is it my fears? Um, does it relate to anything in my life that I've experienced before that I haven't resolved? You know, uh, or is it somebody else's memory? I had actually a client who had nightmares. And we went back and under hypnosis, and it ended up being the memory of an entity that was attached to her. He had died traumatically. His family had, had died traumatically. And when we resolved everything, she never had that nightmare again. Hmm. And she'd had it for years. Like once every few months, she would have the same white house, the same everything. And what I did was I what's called journeyed for her. So I stepped into that nightmare myself and I saw everything. I felt the feelings of him, of his family, what had happened. And then I saw where he went when he died. His soul, you know, went somewhere. Our bodies die, but our souls live forever. And it went into the light in the ceiling. And he because he thought of oh, going to the light. That's what everyone says, right? Go into the light. He's like, well, I don't know what that means. Okay, well, there's a light above me. I'll go into that. I'm like, that is the craziest thing in the world. But then somehow he attached to um, my client at some point. And often entities will attach, non-passover people will attach to others because that person is feeling badly. That's okay. So that person is feeling badly for that person and says, I want to fix that. I want to make you feel better because I know how badly that feels and I want to comfort you. And then entity, whether it's a person, a non-Passover person or another energetic form, it could be maybe an animal. It could be the spirit of maybe a tornado. Honestly, I have learned so much through this and it's opened my eyes into that. Everything has consciousness that, and anything with the, the energetic match, that vibrational match if there's a will, there's a way, and then they will merge, they'll connect. And so this woman was feeling this certain vibration, feeling sad and kind of 
you know, frustrated about things. And so he ended up attaching to her. And so his memories became her nightmares. I find that amazing that a completely different entity's memories can become somebody else's nightmares. Absolutely. While we're speaking about entities, how can we protect ourselves from, you know, being attached? There are a few things you can do. One, um, it's important for you to know who you are, meaning, and it took me a long time to really understand what my vibration was, what I felt was me. Because I grew up actually always having kind of voices in my head, but I just thought it was chitter chatter. Not that I could actually hear conversations, but I could just, it just, my gosh, this is just so annoying. And, And there was a time where I finally realized that it was so loud in my head that I finally screamed in my head, I'm like, I mean, I just, I was done and I was in my mid twenties and then it was absolutely silent. And I'm sitting there and I'm by myself on my couch or like driving or something. I'm like, what just happened? And then I realized through later my training that those were entities that I could hear and or were attached to me. So then I go, well, I need to clear myself. And so through HUNA, there are various processes to do it. But you basically say uh, the very simplest way is, um, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I love you. I thank you. And thank you for all the good you may have done, but you are dismissed. The rule is, the universal rule is one soul, one body. And everyone knows that. Certain entities will try to convince you otherwise. Think of the exorcist. And all of that. Um, And that there are plenty of major exorcisms that have been documented through the Catholic Church. um, And they are dealing with really major forces. I have dealt with something I don't think quite that level, uh, but some decently serious ones. But I go, gigs up. I'm sorry, but I'm working on behalf of my client. And we're done here. Anyway, so there's a process. But when people are working on their own is say, thank you so much for all you've done. You acknowledge and you go, but you are dismissed. Please move out of my space. You have absolute control over your space. Don't let anybody tell you differently. I mean, even just living as a human, it's if someone wants to bully you, no, thank you. I'm not going to take your energy on right now. Right. If I need to call the cops, fine. But this is the rule. Right. You cannot control me. You cannot do these things to me. This is my dominion. This is my space and I own it. And so learning to be comfortable with that you own your own space is number one. And then asking them politely to leave. If they're not polite about it, then you yell at them and you say, I do not care. Get out of here. And if they still do not listen because perhaps you are not mentally, emotionally, physically strong enough to do it, which can happen, then you call in someone like me who can help you through the process. Um, And I haven't had that experience yet, uh, but where I cannot help them. Um, But that is what I would do for people is like ground yourself, shield yourself, imagine a big ball around you of light, maybe white light, blue light, 
um, anything healing that feels good and powerful to you. And, and you need to constantly work on clearing yourself, healing yourself of traumas such that you um, become more present and confident and, and whole. You know, we don't want to have all those holes, you know, where other, other energies can attach. The higher vibration you are, the less the lower negative vibrations they can attach to you. They can't do it anymore. Or you notice it really quickly. You go, why am I just blue today? Why am I just feeling off? And you go, that's not me. And that would happen to me all the time. I just feel off. And then I go, oh, that's not my feeling. That's not me. And I go, aha, geeks up. Okay. And then I'll just, you know, sit quietly, clear myself. Okay. Fill myself with white light. Okay. I'm good. That feels me. I feel complete. You know, taking a salt with Epsom salts or sorry, taking a bath with Epsom salts is very helpful too. All those salts are very, very energetically clearing. Do you think that people who are diagnosed with multiple personality disorders, they just have entities attached to them? Thank you for asking that. I, I believe that is a possibility uh, that maybe not all of them necessarily because you do see that many people who do or those who have multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia, there has been trauma. There's been major trauma where the psyche splits itself, says, I can't handle it. But that also makes me wonder, is there soul fragmentation that has also happened? Is there, is the vibration that you're operating at allowing entities to, to come and, and attach to you? Um, in effort to help or to harm. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm very curious. I have not worked with someone um, in that capacity, but I would not be surprised at all. And I wish, and I, and that's my hope, to be able to work with those people to see if at least some healing, if not all healing, could be done through the modalities that I work with. Definitely. Do you think that the entities that are attaching themselves to people, they're generally for the most part good and they're, and they think they're trying to help the person or they're bad and trying to ruin the person? I don't know if I have any percentages. I think it depends on each person, what they've gone through, um, what they're, you know, what traumas they have been uh, going through or trying to heal. I, I would imagine it's kind of equal. Um, and you can have multiple entities. There's, it's not like a, you know, there are maximum amount of people on a bus that you can sit there and, you know, it can be hundreds, it can be thousands. Often there are, people have at least five to seven major uh, entities that are influencing their experience, but good and bad. Uh, I found it really across running across the board. Do you think that you have to become susceptible to attachments? Like they usually attach themselves when you're, you know, going through trauma or you're on alcohol or drugs or something, or can they just attach themselves to you in normal everyday life? I think the answer is really everyday life, more specifically in trauma. Um, but I remember when I was actually visiting a hospital and I would go every day and I would have to clear myself 
every time I left the hospital because I'd be so exhausted. The energy wasn't cleared at the hospital ever. And I could last about 20 minutes before I started yawning and wanting to fall asleep. The stuck energy of just the, the emotional energy that was there from people who are in trauma. And I mean, that's why they're at the hospital. They're healing themselves and it's stressful and so forth. So it was very, I mean, the air was very thick. So, um, and because I had a higher vibration, people, you know, energies liked that. Mm-hmm. And so they would attach to me and go, wow, this is kind of nice. This is better when, when, than when I, I, where I've been before. And this is cool. But uh, so then I would leave the hospital and for like half an hour and then come back in and get really exhausted. And I had to go every day. So it was actually my father who was in the hospital uh, for many weeks. And I go, oh, boy, I I just can't do this. Why am I so exhausted? It's 10 in the morning. Right. And uh, and so then I went through the hospital floor, just walking around. I cleared every room and it took me about an hour and um, until and, and I feel it in my system when it shifts, air pressure can shift. Uh, I can hear something different in my ears anyway. Uh, and so then when I visited the next day, I was there for three hours and I was fine. Hmm. And it really blew my mind. So they can attach at any time. Absolutely. So why do you think people have so much difficulty in changing their lives? Great question why we have a hard time changing is for a few different reasons. One, we can't visualize or we fear visualizing something new or different or better just because it's new, different or better. And maybe we feel guilty feeling better mainly because if we feel too much better or we do things that are too different, from where we grew up or how we grew up, that it might challenge our relationships with those people who brought us up. It might challenge um, their belief systems, you know, rocking the boat, being the black sheep of the family. And we don't want to ruin our relationships because that's what partially what makes us feel safe. So, you know, I say, I think that's why societies move slowly is because we want to feel better, but we don't want to leave the past behind and lose our relationships because that's part of our security blanket. But if you know it's better enough for yourself and for your family and your choices, and you go, you know what, I'm willing to take that chance And maybe it'll actually improve the relationship with my parents or my siblings or, hey, you know, but I need to do this for myself and take that leap of faith, knowing that you are doing the right thing for yourself, no matter what. If it feels good and resonates, then do it. Make that step. And I think we fear making that step because it will challenge you know, uh, the paradigms that, that we grew up in and the, and the paradigms that our parents lived in. But I will tell you, 99% of the time when I do this work with someone, I have never kind of jumped into the roles of the parents. And the parents say, I don't want you to improve your life. I don't want you to be happy. I want you to suffer for, for my sake. 
I mean, imagine immigrants, all they want is their children's happiness. That's why they do this. That's why they sacrifice so much. Now, look, yes, on the surface, there might be many toxic families. However, when you are stepping into the highest self of that person, of the parent, they will guaranteed or a grandparent or a great parent, they'll guarantee say, you do what makes you happy because that's why we're here. We want you to evolve. We want you to love yourself. Otherwise, why the heck are we doing all of this? So take care of yourself and trust that it will work out in the end. It always does. And so trust that we're not here to, you know, not have fun and not have great relationships. Yes, there are challenges, but it doesn't mean we have to live that way. And there, it's, and it, there's a, there's the rainbow on the other side, right? There's that pot of gold. And, but I guarantee you that pot of gold is there. We just have to figure out what it is for you. And then I will help you get there. So how did you come up with the title of your book, Becoming Ridiculously Awesome? Goodness. I wanted an inspirational title that wasn't cheesy. And I didn't want, a, you know, I, I see a lot of books out there, which I'm sure have a lot of beautiful messages. But what I wanted someone to do is when they read the title of that book, to instantly connect with how they want to feel. And that it's possible and that it's, um, that life could be amazing. And the word awesome is, is happy. And um, it has this confidence, it has this flair that just stuck with me. And so when I say becoming ridiculously awesome, it's like, well, honestly, my subtitle is who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to have that experience? So it just seemed to fit kind of my view of life and my view of where everybody can go and, and what experience they can have if they want to. If people want to get your book, should they go to your website or is it like on Amazon? It is both places. So please go to Amazon. I also have it on Kindle version there if you prefer Kindle. And if you want to go through to my website, I can sign it for you um, with a message of whatever you're choosing is, and I can send it to you. So if you want a personal message for yourself or a friend, uh, I can do it there, which is, which is a lot of people choose, which is fun. If people want to get in touch with you about your healing sessions, do they do that as well through your website? Yes, please do. And it's a very simple process where uh, go to livingyourawesome.com and read testimonials and you can sign up for a free consult. It's 30 minutes and where we see how I can help you and where you're stuck and then create a um a process by which we have, you know, four sessions to go through and help you. You know, if you have phobias, chronic pain, anxiety, traumas, I can help you with those things and help you work through that. So you don't have to manage it anymore. All right. Well, before we finish up, Meredith, can you leave us with one last positive message? I would say, honestly, trust who you are and don't let anybody tell you that you can't be something or do something or experience something. It's the hardest thing to see information or judgments coming at you from your boss or your family. But no matter what, trust in who you are that you have gotten yourself to here and now in all the ways that you have. And that's no easy feat. So reflect on your life and go, wow, I did that. 
I survived these things. I made these cool choices or maybe those didn't work out, but I learned from them. And because you've been able to do that to get to here and now, who's to say that you can't be ridiculously awesome or more ridiculously awesome in a month in next year, but you just have to make that step, but trust yourself and love where you are. Thank you for that message, Meredith. And thank you again for being my guest today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. I loved being here. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.